The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and as I like to remind you, each week I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and uh, my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes the newsletter called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Chen is not uh, currently taking new subscriptions. Uh, if you are interested in subscribing to Chen's letter, you need to go to miningstocks.com. Put your name on a waiting list, and during the first few days of 2013, Chen will be uh, will be taking on some new subscribers. But you do need to put your name on a waiting list. Uh, no new subscribers at this time for Chen. Those who are subscribers can renew, but uh, he's not accepting new subscribers for the time being. Uh, through attrition, he uh, will be accepting some more, depending on how many people drop out. Um, you can, however, sign up for my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks at miningstocks.com. Uh, miningstocks.com or go to, uh, you can call my assistant Claudio Bossi in New York at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426 to sign up for my newsletter. And in my letter, I try to pick stocks that I believe have a, a good chance of doing extremely well given the uh, market conditions that we find ourselves in. And I believe we are in some very difficult, uh, situ- in a very difficult situation right now, one in which liquidity is extremely hard to come by, which is one of the reasons I had last week uh, my guest, uh, Mr. Conrad, who talked about where you can find um, where you can find some income, income-producing stocks. Those also, though, do have their danger. I think I believe that we are in a very significant bear market, a secular bear market, uh, a cyclical bear, a bull market that I believe could very well be near its uh, its waning days, and we could be ready for a major decline in the equity markets. I'm looking at some news here that talks about how uh, individual investors are really getting out of the stock market right now. There's a lot of fear of the fiscal cliff and uh, a lot of reasons to uh, for trepidation in the equity markets but as i've been saying the uh, the gold mining sector that is the companies that are in produ- production are doing very well and uh, for reasons i've talked about uh, many times in this show i believe we are in the bull market of a lifetime 
for gold mining companies. Ever since Lehman Brothers uh, went down and we started having this major credit market problem, we started to see uh, the economics for gold mining improve very dramatically. And that trend is still very much in place from all that I can see. Now, that having been said, uh, it is a very difficult time for the junior mining companies, the guys that have to go out and raise capital to stay alive. And for that reason, I have focused more on producing companies, those that have the cash flow that can uh, generate income and grow organically and go out and gobble up some of the weaker sisters uh, and uh, project generator companies as well. Uh, in any event, um, bef- let me just mention, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. And for uh, today's show, our sponsors are Airway Energy, Aravista Gold, Blue Sky Uranium, Bravada Gold, Brazil, Brazil Resources, Dynacor Gold Mines, Eurasian Minerals, Millrock Resources, Northern Free Gold, and Riverside Resources. Just a couple of words on our sponsors. Uh, I, it's interesting to note that each and every one of these companies are actually recommendations in my newsletter, and I own, I believe I own all of them in, uh, personally as well, um, in one form or another. And uh, so, uh, you know, I'm, they are sponsors, but they're companies that I have believed in and have talked about in my, uh, in my newsletter and have put my own money into them. Uh, Bravada Gold is one I'd like to really, it's selling at six and a half cents today, uh, 6.3 cents as I look at the screen now. 114 million shares outstanding, but as we uh, noted recently, the net present value of that company's one um, flagship property has been assessed at $1.29. So there's a disconnect, obvious disconnect there between uh, what the engineers and the people doing the, um, the PEA suggest is the intrinsic 5% net present value, 5% discount net present value of $1.29 compared to 6.5 cents the market is paying for this company right now. Dynacor we talked to last week and doing extremely well, growing their earnings very nicely. Uh, we should be expecting continued growth in earnings on a regular basis. They earned $0.08 cents a share last uh, last quarter. Uh, Jean Martineau told me last week on this show that he believes they can equal that uh, this uh, for the final quarter of this year and then on to bigger things next year as that company grows organically, doing very, very nicely, selling at $1.19 today. Uh, Eurasian Minerals, clearly one of my favorites and one that I have probably put about as much into as any other uh, personally. This is a stock that's down four cents today, two dollars and six cents. They just made an announcement. A new a Glass Earth is the name of a company that has now uh, has an option to buy a project in New Zealand that they have, and they would be paying Eurasian Minerals in gold ounces for that project. Uh, Northern Free Gold uh, is a company with nearly six million gold equivalent ounces at a project in the Yukon, uh, accessible easy to get to, which isn't always the case in the Yukon, and power not far away, uh, $0.10 cents a share at selling at today. Uh, just, I think, you know, $12 million market cap for a company that has nearly uh, 6 million ounces of gold equivalent. About half of that is gold itself. Uh, and Riverside Resources is a company that, uh, well, it's a prospect generator. And I, as I've said many times, prospect generators I favor because of their ability to fund themselves in these horrible markets that we find ourselves in now. Riverside is one of the few stocks on my list that has actually performed on the upside today. It's green uh, today. It's only up a cent, but that's, uh, hey, that's better than nothing at about just a little under 80 cents. And uh, Dr. John Mark Stoudy, the president and CEO of this company, is going to be stopping by, I believe, in a few minutes uh, to share with us uh, some good news from one of their prospects, uh, a major mining company 
uh, seems to be quite interested in some of the pros- uh, some of the results, the drill results that came out of a copper gold molly project um, in British Columbia. So we're going to be talking to John Mark Stoudy in a little while and, and try to figure out and understand uh, what it is uh, that is uh, that is so positive about this prospect. Um, now, I mentioned last week there's a company uh, called, I didn't give you the name of it, but I told you there's a company that has a, uh, a must-have technology for ferreting out pi- uh, leaks in gas and oil pipelines. Uh, and the name of that company I'm going to tell you now is Sonodon, S-Y-N-D-O-N, and it trades in Toronto under the symbol S-Y-D. In the U.S., you can buy it, as I have, under the symbol S-Y-X-X-F. Uh, and its proprietary technology, I believe, is a must-have technology because the problems of the aging pipelines are becoming very acute. We're seeing uh, huge losses of, of natural gas and oil. Uh, about 2% a year of gas is lost in North America, from what I understand. Well, just the savings, being able to find those leaks early on, is very important and will save a lot of money. But more importantly, avoiding huge environmental problems and huge fines that come to the pipeline companies as a result. This is a a price-competitive technology, but it is far superior from what I can see to anything else that's out there in the market. little company with a tiny market cap. uh, um, Well, it's selling at about uh, 12 or 13 cents right now. Uh, market cap of around $10 million. I think it has huge upside potential, and I might say uh, that uh, when I saw Paul Van Eden uh, very much involved with this company, it uh, it caused me to take a closer look because I have a very high regard for uh, Paul Van Eden as a savvy investor. And so Paul has put a lot of his own money into it uh, and uh, was actually helping the company promote its uh, its uh, story at a recent uh, show that I attended and spoke to Paul, and after having some conversations with Paul and doing some research on my own, decided to recommend it in my newsletter and have purchased it for my own retirement account. Uh, I would also like to bring to your attention a company called Homestake Resources Corporation, uh, this is not a sponsor of my uh, of my show. It is, however, a recommendation in my newsletter, and the reason I'm telling you about it is because I think this is also a drastically undervalued company, selling at about 18 cents, only 29 million shares outstanding, so it has a very low market cap. Uh, but uh, the company uh, has two highly prospective properties in British Columbia. Actually, uh, Agneagle Eagle is spending, uh, or has an option at least, to spend over $25 million to earn 65% in one of those prospects. Uh, and the other one, um, the other gold prospect, uh, the company wants to explore and spend some money on its own. So it is raising some capital now. Uh, if uh, you are an accredited investor and if you're interested in, in investing in these kinds of highly risky stocks, I must say, um, you might want to call the company. Uh, Leanna Shanahan uh, can be reached at 604-688-4670, 604-688-4670. She is the Vice President of Corporate Development and uh, I might just add, in, in uh, meeting up with Rick Rule, I know that Rick loves these kind of markets. Uh, he loves these kind of weak markets because he says, hey, look, I can go out and I can invest in these little penny stocks and I can get warrants that come with it. So, you know, the ability to go against the trend, it's not easy to do for sure. It's a lot easier, you know, to buy uh, things when people are getting very uh, excited about the markets. But um, actually, the really successful investors are able to go out there and, and buy things when nobody else wants to buy them. 
Well, let's get into uh, today's show. Uh, yesterday, I might just remark a couple of remarks that I think really stood out in my mind. Uh, yesterday, reading Richard Russell, he talked about a professor he had at NYU many decades ago, and this professor said the best kind of government is a dictatorship. There is only one problem: the dictator would have to be Jesus. I thought that was uh, kind of funny, but maybe kind of true. Uh, and and uh, just a few minutes ago, a good friend of mine, Jeff Dice, who is Ron Paul's chief of staff, uh, and will be until the lame duck Congress adjourns, passed on the following quote uh, from Warren Buffett's father, Congressman Howard Buffett. Quote, Even if it were desirable, America is not strong enough to police the world by military force. If that attempt is made, the blessings of liberty will be replaced by coercion and tyranny at home. Our Christian ideals cannot be exported to other lands by dollars and guns. Persuasion and example are the methods taught by the carpenter of Nazareth. And if we believe in Christianity, we should try to ad- advance our ideals by, this, by his methods. We cannot practice uh, might and force abroad and retain freedom at home. We cannot talk world cooperation and practice power politics. End of quote. That was Howard, Congressman Howard Buffett. I might add, I, I might add that uh, the senior Buffett was also aware that we needed to have honest money if we were to retain our liberties as well, and he's written and talked about that too. Uh, how then and why did his son Warren Buffett go so wrong? How did he go in the other direction? How did we as Americans go in the wrong direction for that matter? Um, that uh, we can, you know, how can we expect to spend and live beyond our means today and not pay for it tomorrow? Well, those are some of the questions I hope to contemplate and ask uh, my main guest today, uh, who was also a chief of staff for Ron Paul. I'm talking about Lou Rockwell, who will join us uh, for the first time today at about 3.30 New York time. Um, and uh, he'll talk to us a little bit about the Mises Institute that he heads up and uh, what it's doing uh, in, uh, in an attempt to uh, help us to return to some of those ideals that our founding fathers provided for us. And certainly Ron Paul is very much a, a friend of the Mises Institute and I think probably will be more involved as time goes on uh, with the Mises Institute now that he is out of Congress. Uh, so we're going to be talking um, to Lou Rockwell uh, at 3.30. Uh, and um, then after that, uh, I just mentioned John Mark Stoddy will be joining me in a few minutes. And later then, uh, at about 4.30 today, Dudley Baker uh, will be with me. Dudley Baker uh, writes a newsletter that has to do with precious metals uh, mining share warrants. Uh, so if you're interested in finding out some ways that you might be able to leverage up uh, on the bull market in the mining shares, uh, you might uh, want to be sure to hang around and listen to Dudley Baker, and he'll be joining me, as I say, at about 4.30. Well, we, uh, we do need to go to break now, so uh, don't go away, though. When we come back, we're going to talk to Dr. John Mark Stoddy of Riverside Resources and find out what's going on with that company, why is that stock holding up relatively well in an otherwise horrible market. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Dr. John Mark Stoddy. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. 
Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Attention mining investors, Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil, surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil, led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. Blue Sky Uranium is a leading pioneer in the exploration for uranium in the Patagonia region of Argentina. Their exploration success has attracted one of the world's largest multinational nuclear power companies to fully fund Blue Sky's exploration programs. Argentina is very focused on nuclear to provide for their energy needs, yet they do not currently produce the required uranium to feed the reactors. Blue Sky has opened up a new frontier for exploration for uranium in Argentina with an objective of supplying both domestic and international markets. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at DynacorGold. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I was expecting John Mark Stoudy to be with me, and uh, there must have been some communication issue. Um, I talked to John Mark earlier today uh, on his cell phone, and uh, he was quite uh, interested in being with me, but perhaps he misunderstood the time. He is out on the West Coast in Vancouver. I'm here in New York, uh, so that's uh, very possible uh, that there was a mix-up in the time. Uh, oh, we do have him. My, my engineer tells me that John Mark has just joined us, so that's really great news. Hi, uh, hello, John. John Mark? Hello, Jay. Hey, you're and, there. Uh, Good. I, I, well, interesting. You had a chance to visit with me out in Arizona, and I was just on the phone call with someone who's uh, looking to keep moving forward with that asset with us, so I apologize just doing business for you as a shareholder. <laughs> you don't have to apologize for that. I'm very thankful that you're doing business for me as a shareholder, and I might tell our listeners that I am a shareholder. Uh, Riverside Resources, uh, which John Mark Stoddy heads up, uh, is a recommendation in my newsletter, and we are very pleased to say that 
uh, Riverside is also currently a sponsor to this show. Well, that's good news. That's Sugarloaf Peak you're talking about, John Mark. That is. So it's one of the projects that Riverside has. Recently, we've had new information come out from the drilling in British Columbia, and we're very excited by the press release that came out for British Columbia, where we're drilling into a large copper system, the type of system that companies like Tech Resources, Extrata, some of the giant companies uh, really like to own and be part of and mine, and they mine in British Columbia, Tech Resources, a giant large copper mine. And so Riverside is excited by the drilling that we've been doing in British Columbia with Antofagasta Holdings as the financier, and Riverside is the owner and operator of the project. Yeah, I might uh, just mention to our uh, to our subscribers, uh, to our listeners, I should say, that your uh, market cap is very low. You've only got about, I think, 35 million shares or something like that outstanding, John Mark? That's correct, and uh, so we're, only we're about... trading at around 75 cents today. Well, I'm looking at you here in New York, and you're trading at about just under 80 cents. So, well, it's um, been a good day. Fat city. <laughs> no, but uh, but seriously, so this is uh, some good news, I guess, coming out of here. Now, I'm looking at the headlines put out. Uh, you released some information on the 21st of November. Riverside drills 445.5 meters of 0.164% copper. Now, that's that's a long intersection for sure. But 0.164% copper isn't, doesn't sound economic to me. So what is there about this uh, from a geological point of view, perhaps you can explain, that has you encouraged? Three key things, and, and the, this was success for us in that there was historic previous drilling to 150 meters. Riverside wanted to see if this actually has depth, if this could be a bigger system, and that was proven. The entire drill hole, 445 meters, the entire hole was mineralized all the way down, so that was good news for us and and, and significant that we're into a big system. The second thing was that Lanac project is next to Grand Isle Bell. It's next to the other big deposits that companies like Extrata and uh, and tech currently have or work on. And so for us, identifying that we're into a large system in the right district, doing the right type of geology, the geology we call a, an intrusion of porphyry, which is a rock that has copper in it, it was good. And the third thing was for us to begin to start drilling into this district funded by Antofagasta, we can begin to expand and build. So, yes, this was not to be an ore intercept. Of course, we always like to have it. We hope for it. But this was really a proof of concept and the first leg to prove to Antofagasta that this is into a big environment, a big system, the type of giant copper deposit that they're looking for. Okay, you have, so you know the system is mineralized over, over a very long intersection. Do you have some sense through your, uh, you know, through geophysics or otherwise what the target size of this porphyry may be? Exactly, the geophysics and also we did two other things. We innovated a new way of drilling. It's, it's been known, but we're using it to drill through the gravel and through the alluvial cover, through the old glacial till, down to the top of bedrock. By drilling down to the top of bedrock, we got chemistry. So we have a large geophysical anomaly that's over a kilometer by a kilometer as a, as a central area and over four kilometers by two kilometers as the large system. That's big. 
Now we've drilled down to the top of bedrock and have chemistry that also shows that it can be big. The third thing that we use is uh, induced polarity IP, another type of geophysics, combined with the magnetical pull of the Earth, the magnetical magnetics geophysics, and with all three of those together, we see that this can be a very large system, and so we're, we're pleased with the progress in the project. And I guess uh, potentially then being located next to these other big projects uh, could be of economic significance. Yes, and also located near infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So between these, these other projects and the interstate, the highway, with power, with the city, with the community, with all of that is a great location where we're located. So we've been working in these type of very good locations where we're not using helicopters, where we're not remote, where we're able to drive right to the projects and do work. That's really helped us a lot. In fact, we've gone into areas that were affected by wildfires and by a pine beetle. The pine beetle uh, actually due to warming of the earth or maybe just uh, just a regional warming or something tended to actually get out of hand and killed a lot of the trees. Mm. So we've been able to go into these areas to do exploration where other people weren't. So instead of going to large remote areas, we're going into places that can be explored very inexpensively and very effectively to make new discoveries. What uh, sort of program might you have in mind uh, Antofagasta would be funding next year, or is that to be determined yet? Are you going to be uh, reviewing the results of this drill program and then setting up a new one? And if so, uh, when might we know about that? So we've, we haven't made a, any formal announcements. We have actually reviewed some of the, the results. And so, yes, we have a program going forward. The program actually necessitates each of our designated projects is a million dollars a year. So at the Flute and at the Lenac, in the coming year, would each be a million dollars. So there'd be two million dollars as a required expenditure for Antifagasta to keep going. And they'll do that each year for the next three years to complete a five-year total program. So we've done one year, and we're in the program. So next year would be, again, those type of expenditures. So we're very excited by that. Would be two million dollars on the combined just for these two designated projects, plus another six hundred thousand dollars of generative work. So this year, coming up in 2013, we're looking to it at least a 2.6 million dollar budget right now, and we'll, we're proposing more work on top of that to grow even the larger amount of exploration dollars in British Columbia, funded by Antofagasta done by Riverside to generate more and, and expand and make a big discovery. Right, and that's in British Columbia. I want to get to Mexico with the time we have left, but what is the, uh, tell our listeners what the arrangement is there with Antofagasta. What, let's say they stay in it and want to stay in it for good. Let's say that you really find something that's economically viable and significant and large enough for Antofagasta to be interested in. What, what would be the arrangement if this goes to, uh, to term? term after Antofagasta completes $5 million of expenditure and they pay us $3 million cash, we would make a joint venture of 35, which Antofagasta would then take over operatorship and forward the project and Riverside would have a 35% interest in something that would be very large. If Riverside at some point isn't able to keep up or chooses not to keep up, we revert down to a net smelter royalty of 2%, which generally can be something effectively like a 10 or 
12% carried interest in a project when you get out to the end of it. And Riverside would not have to put up any more money at all. Right. So we'll see when we get there. It's a very good deal for us. And to have these projects being advanced, de-risked, and explored is very good. To end up with a 65% interest for them, 35% for Riverside. Indeed, if you're looking at the sort of small market cap that you have, John Mark, it is the kind of uh, project if it goes forward depending and we don't there's no guarantees in this business god knows that but if it goes forward um, you know it obviously could have a very profound impact on your market capitalization on your share price nobody knows for sure how that's going to go but i just want our listeners to be aware of the kind of leverage that's inherent in these kind of plays and again de-risking which is the beauty of your model of the prospect generator or project generator model is in getting other people to spend money and then when you hit on something a little small market cap company like yours and you have very few shares outstanding, uh, the rewards can be extremely good uh, for the patient investor who sticks around. I mean, the thing that I find about project generators, prospect generators that make it difficult is you're spread out with lots of different projects and it's kind of like watching paint grow uh, dry sometimes, you know, John Mark, but then when you hit, all of a sudden these little things can take off really like a rocket uh, ship uh, taking off. Let's go to um, Mexico. What you got a couple of minutes left here. My engineer tells me too. What have you got in Mexico? What what should investors be paying most attention to in Mexico now? Right now, our partners, Cliffs, are doing drilling and exploration. So that'll give re- results. Maybe that'll be the rocket ship coming up. We'll hope. We'll see. That's great. Secondly, Riverside has projects that are being drilled up in gold toward resource and toward exploration discovery. That's the second rocket ship. So we hope in the next 2013, that'll be the year of the rocket ship, as you say. And we have cliffs, and we also have our own programs going forward in gold and silver. How much money do you have in the till now, John Mark? Riverside has over $7 million in the till. With that capital, we're able to progress all of our work program. We've been able to spend less than $2 million a year every year since we started the corporation. So easily we can see we can go for a number of years without really needing to go back to the well for capital. Well, that's uh, that's really good news for those of us who've been in early at an early stage, and I might tell uh, my listeners that I actually picked up your stock, I think it went right after it went public at about 50 cents a share. Uh, that uh, I didn't buy that stock at 50 cents a share a few years ago for a 30-cent return. I'm looking for something bigger. No guarantees in this world, that's for sure. But it is exciting, John Mark. Thank you very much for coming on with us. Uh, tell our listeners your website is Riverside Resources or what? That's correct. So it's simply rivres, R-I-V-R-E-S dot com, and the trading symbol is R-R-I, Riverside Resources, Inc. Very good. Thank you very much, John Mark Stadi, and I look forward to talking to you again sometime in the near future. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back after the commercial break uh, with Lou Rockwell of the Mises Institute. So uh, you're going to want to hear what he has to say. Uh, about the economy and about the uh, fiscal cliff and a lot of other issues that we have to worry about and think about. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Lou Rockwell. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. I've recently recommended Northern Free Gold to my subscribers because its nearly 6 million gold equivalent ounce resource can lead to a major rise in its share price. The company's Yukon project is in a politically safe jurisdiction, far from population centers, and it is advantaged with road access and nearby electricity. A large deposit and a vision of positive economics should make Northern Free Gold an acquisition target. The potential upside, in my view, for these shares is major. Our Vista Gold Corporation's principal asset is the Dewey Project, which currently has a 43101 compliant resource of approximately 3 million ounces of gold and is considered to be one of the last undeveloped, low-grade, bulk-tonnage potential super pits in Quebec. The Dewey Project has significant potential to further grow the resource by both step-out drilling as well as further infill drilling within the existing porphyry. Our Vista has a well-designed, extensive 35,000-meter 100-hole drill program planned for Q4 2012, with results expected in early 2013 and an updated resource estimate to follow. Our Vista Gold trades on the TSXV under the symbol AVA. For further details, please visit www.arvistagold.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times and the Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really, really pleased to have with me Lou Rockwell. Uh, Mr. Rockwell uh, is an American libertarian political commentator, activist, proponent of the Austrian School of Economics, and chairman and CEO of the Ludwig von Mises Institute in Auburn, Alabama, and he is the author of The Left, The Right, and The State. It was a book that was written in 2008. Uh, Lou served as Ron Paul's Congressional Chief of Staff from 1978 uh, to 1982 and was closely associated with his teacher and colleague, Murray Rothbard, uh, until Rothbard's death in 1995. He also uh, is Vice President of the Center for Libertarian Studies in Burlingame, California, and publisher of the political weblog, Lou Rockwell. Com. And I would also like to strongly suggest uh, to my listeners that they go to Mises.org to avail themselves to top Austrian economic economists and thought, uh, writers, uh, libertarians, people that uh, provide, um, uh, I think, what was really what made our country great, the, uh, the ideas of our founding fathers. So, again, that's uh, Mises.org. Well, welcome, Lou. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Hey, Jay. Great to be with you. Really good to have you. Um, 
I, I see that um, uh, as a reflection of my own libertarian Austrian economic views, this show has really uh, a free market leaning since its inception back in 2009. Uh, but we have not really had a formal discussion of Austrian economics, I would say. I, I think we've sort of generally, people probably have an idea of what Austrian economics is, but maybe you can help us um, focus a little more uh, a, a little more definitively on Austrian economics. So uh, I'd like to, if you don't mind, like to ask you a little bit to define Austrian economics for our listeners and perhaps contrast that with uh, Keynesian economics and, and monetarist economics. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to get too technical because I don't want to put anybody to sleep. So let me put this in, the, in what I hope will be uh, uh, an interesting fashion. If, if, sure. Um, Think of the Austrian school as being the purest form of free market economics. That is, uh, it's, it's the view of the school that the less the government has to do with the economy, the better off we are, the more prosperous and the freer. And in fact, there should, it should have zero to do with the economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can think of Keynesian economics as what uh, Joe Salerno calls the economics of government power. Mm-hmm. It's the idea that people are not able, I mean, in, a, in an Austrian sense, we think society does not need overlords. That people um, are capable of running their own lives, making their own decisions, promoting their own prosperity, and developing a capitalist economy based on the division of labor and, and uh, uh, more and more specialization, more and more investment and savings. And uh, that's what builds not only human prosperity, but civilization itself. To the Keynesians, you know, you can their view, uh, their stated view is that. You can sort of think of the economy as a as a truck running down a hill, and if the government's not there running the you know, stepping on the brake and shifting and and steering it, why it's going to go off and and crash? Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, it's actually the government that causes it to go off and crash. Mm-hmm. The monetarists are um, have their origin in Keynesianism. They uh, are more free market than the Keynesians, although far from being entirely free market. But their their one major problem is that they believe in the Federal Reserve. They believe that that uh, it's the government's job, and it's a wonderful thing for society to have this uh, bankster monopoly um, creating money for the benefit of the government and the benefit of the big banks and other uh, uh, institutions close to the part of the, the governing oligarchy and close to the government. Um, that that's a good thing. It's of course not a good thing. It's a it's the ripoff. It's maybe the greatest ripoff in the history of the world, the Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. So. Um, just looking at the present time, you know, we have, uh, as you pointed out, we have Keynesianism dominating everything, not only the way the government runs the economy, not only what the Federal Reserve does, what all the media say, what um, mainstream academia says, uh, big business says. It's all, uh, it's, Keynes is back, came back in 2008 after um, uh, a bubble created by the Federal Reserve, came back with a vengeance. So, um, very unfortunate thing and uh, the government and we can think of what happened after 9-11 as another example of this the government is the one institution in society or maybe over society that when it falls flat on its face in a total disaster of its own making and it, and it just make it that just makes messes everything up to an unbelievable degree why the answer is to give them more money and more power yeah yeah so, yeah, so uh, that was the view in 2008 but um that whole the business cycle. One of the one of the things the Austrians are responsible for Mises, Hayek, Rothbard, um, is is the view that the business cycle is not something that's natural to the economy. 
It's not something that just happens, uh, but rather it's the result of intervention, and it's the result of intervention uh, into the banking system by creating money, by lowering interest rates thereby uh, below the market rate, thereby leading to all kinds of investments that really are not turn out not to have been very smart uh, when when the when the uh, money st- when when things stop. And then you have unemployment, you have uh, systemic bankruptcies, and, and uh, uh, because of the bubble. So the, they set out after 9-11, Greenspan and Bush and the rest of them, to create a housing bubble. I mean, that mm-hmm. was their specific, remember Paul Krugman calling for this. Right. This was their specific intention. So they created a bubble. The bubble, of course, burst, as all bubbles eventually do. Uh, now it looks like they're creating another bubble, apparently, you know, housing, at least in some areas. There's an, apparently a new housing bubble going on in um, Southern California, Northern California, Miami, and a few other areas. I don't think they can create a, a nationwide bubble like they did before, but they can certainly cause a lot more trouble, a lot more heartache, a lot more um, uh, poverty and dispossessions. And, uh, um, you know, the, we, if, we, if we look at not only Western Europe, but in the United States, we have the banks running everything. I mean, we sort yeah, of live indeed. in a bankocracy. Um, so the, the the Austrians would say fractional reserve banking, which is what all of banking is today, mm-hmm. uh, is an illegitimate system. It causes it's 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 a uh, it's part and parcel of the inflation system and and of the the uh, causing of recessions and depressions through these artificial bubbles. And um, every so, bank is bankrupt. So, so, so we've got our money there. If, if even a significant proportion of any of the depositors of any bank wouldn't ask for their money, the whole thing would come down, unless the Federal Reserve turns on the printing press, which of course is what they do. But that has other bad effects, of course. Well, indeed. So essentially, what the Austrians are saying is that uh, if the economy was left alone, you wouldn't have bubbles. But the government gets involved, creates bubbles either through monetary policy or through regulatory. Uh, interference in the markets, so the markets can't uh, naturally clear. Uh, and so, what governments do is they create the bubbles, and then they need to create a bigger bubble to try to uh, to try to solve the uh, the problems caused by the previous bubble. Is that it? Yeah, and this is not only in terms of bubbles, but it's in terms of all government intervention. Mises pointed this out. So the government intervenes; it causes a problem. They then use that problem as a reason to justify more intervention. Right. Right. They never say, "Oh, we messed up. Let's pull back." No, no. So, so in fact, uh, the this is one of the things that's been very clear to me uh, about the the current policies following the Lehman Brothers problem. Uh, you know, we didn't learn anything from the 1930s. It seems to me. I know Murray Rothbard talked about uh, in his in his book about the Great Depression. That in fact, it seems to me that we're repeating the same policies, only more so this time. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and in fact, there's never been anything like this present system. There's never been in the history of the world a time when uh, every country had a central bank, every central bank had a so-called discretionary monetary policy. There's mm-hmm. nothing, nothing inhibiting them. There's no even semi-gold standard, mm-hmm. uh, and all the banks are inflating together. So it's under the under the uh, the aegis of the Federal Reserve. So you have the European Central Bank, the Bank of Switzerland, the the Bank of England, the Bank of China, Bank of Japan—they're all—they're all inflating together, and there's never, you know, if this is—we're definitely in uncharted territory. Right. So, um, uh, what is exactly is going to happen, and when it's going to happen, is—that's the job of the entrepreneur or the uh, the good investor to try to figure out. 
Oh. But um, it's, it's I, a daunting, I think we can be sure it's bad. It's it's a daunting task, and I want to get into, you know, some of the causes, some of the ideas that uh, that you have regarding where we might be heading. But uh, just a couple more definitions, if I could. What about supply side economics, which was in vogue during Reagan's term? Supply side economics is that not? Uh, uh, are there some things in common with Austrian economics, free market economics, or or not? No, I mean it's another variant of Keynesianism, and it's, right. it's a reason that. Uh, the supply side, supply side, for example, said deficits don't matter. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, we had that. They ran uh, huge deficits under Reagan. The government was expanded massively. Reagan cut taxes once, increased them six times. The government ended up much bigger uh, after he was over, after his uh, term of office was over than when he began. Uh, so it was all a fraud. He didn't cut the government. He didn't overall cut taxes. Uh, he expand, he incre- incre- vastly increased taxes, not only Social Security taxes, but his her- horrific uh, TEFRA, T-E-F-R-A, tax increase in 1986. He increased gasoline taxes. I mean, he increased... Um, he was a fraud. He was a, you know, we have democratic, we have the democratic frauds, we have the republican frauds. So Ronald Reagan was a limited government guy or a free market guy in the same sense that Mitt Romney was. In other words, no yeah. sense. Yeah. Well, uh, at a recent event that your that Mises uh, your Mises Institute held in New York, I attended it. Uh, David. Yeah, Stockman. we were glad to have you there. Uh, David Stockman uh, was a speaker there. He was very much a part of the Reagan administration. Uh, would you consider him a supply sider? And you know, he certainly was very very critical in his speech that he gave there in New York about uh, you know about uh, about what's going on now. You know, it said he believes that the capital markets are about to to be you know completely destroyed by what what's going on with the Fed. But would you consider David Stockman is he a supply sider? No, and uh, he's far too smart to be a supply sider. And yeah. you, you have to remember that he was fired as. Um, uh, head of the uh, OMB, the Office of Management and Budget, because he said the whole thing was phony. They were lying about uh-huh. what they were doing, and they were lying about their projections, their so-called rosy scenarios. And um, so he was fired. He was fired for telling the truth, which, of course, is always a bad idea in the government. <laughs> if you want so to retain David, your job in government, writing, right? You... David is, I would say, not an Austrian, but he's influenced these days by Austrian economics. Uh-huh. And uh, he's working on a f- fantastic new book on crony capitalism and, and the markets and what's ahead of us. And I've seen part of it, and it's uh, quite extraordinary. Yeah, so he told me and, and promised me that uh, he'll consider coming on this show when he's finished. I'm really looking forward to the book in any event. Well, um, okay, so what about, let's talk about Ludwig von Mises, uh, the name. I mean, you're, the Mises Institute. Uh, it was named after him. In fact, I believe maybe was a direct outcome of his of his being. Right? Was he? How, how? Give us a little history on the Mises Institute, how it was formed. Well, I had the uh, the great honor as a as a young kid of being Mises's editorial assistant hmm. for the republication of uh, some of his books that had been out of print, and also for a book, uh, the uh, publication of a new a new work uh, at Arlington House Publishers, which was. Uh, in those days, the only book publisher that uh, was interested in libertarian or Austrian mm-hmm. Austrian related books, mm-hmm. and uh, I became concerned in the years after that, and especially after his death, that the Austrian school and Mises as a man, as well as a great a great economist, perhaps the greatest economist, um, that he was losing stature, and I thought this was a man who whose heroic story we needed to know, uh, because we all need people to emulate. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was definitely a man worth emulating, also one of the great geniuses 
uh, I would argue, of, of the West. And um, I thought that that he, he was becoming less well-known. So I thought it was very important, not only for the cause of justice, but for the future of, of, uh, of prosperity and capitalism and, and freedom that uh, the Austrian school be revivified and that he be especially, uh, uh, that the story of Mises be told and his significance be told. Mm-hmm. So that's why I started the Institute. I, I approached Margaret von Mises, his widow, and uh, asked her if she would be chairman of our board, and she said uh, that she would agree to do it if I would agree to be to do this for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. So I gave oh, okay. her that. I gave her my word, and uh, then I I went to Margaret. Never hesitated to ask. <laughs> she was a very direct lady, uh, and so then I approached Murray Rothbard and asked him if he would head our academic affairs. And he was so happy about it, he actually clapped his hands in glee. I mean, it was oh. the only time I ever saw anybody do that. But because uh-huh. um, of course he had been Mises's student and colleague. He loved Mises mm-hmm. as a man as well as as a as a uh, as an economist and historian. Mm-hmm. And um, so he agreed to do everything he could. And so um, this is 30 years ago, a little more than 30 years ago. Wow. And and uh, so I've had a lot of fun since. I've got help of, from uh, some magnificent donors, obviously people like that who make everything possible, uh, great scholars. And today, you know, the Austrian school is still, of course, very much a minority school, but it's a far bigger minority than it used to be. We have many more economists, many, many more students. And the most recent great thing is that, in fact, Ron Paul uh, was also one of the very early people supporting the Institute, and he was uh, gracious enough to help us raise some seed money in the very early days and has always been a good supporter. And what he has done in his last two presidential campaigns to spread the word about Austrian economics um, never been anything like that in history. So not only in our country, but all around the world, he's interested, I would argue, if we look at the whole world, millions of young people in Austrian economics. So where do they go? They go to Mises.org, um, and uh, there people will find everything from things from for, for lay people, a, a massive, great material for... Um, and by the way, I should mention that Austrian economics is literary economics. It's not mathematical economics. Yes, that's very important. It's illegitimate anyway. But uh, if you look at a at a uh, an economics journal, uh, if you're a regular person, it's just uh, entirely unintelligible. Sure. It's not true of Austrian economics. If you're, uh, it, it's accessible to the intelligent layman. So we have uh, on Mises Org thousands of books, all for free. Um, uh, videos, audios, thousands of hours of lectures and other kinds of programs, all kinds of uh, articles and papers. Um, so take a look at it, ma- make use of it. Of course, we sell books too, but uh, all our books are available for free download. You can read them on screen or, or uh, you know, download them on your printer and print them out. Oh, that's, of course, a pretty expensive way to do it. But it, it, we find that people in some countries where it's difficult to get the books, difficult even to import the books, they're able to print out the books, right. and uh, so we circumvent uh, uh, some restrictions. So uh, everything is there, and we want to serve these young people that Ron Paul has uh, called forth. Indeed, and uh, you know, it's it's actually Ron is very popular around the world too. It's not just in the United States among younger people. It's uh, it's pretty surprising uh, people that I've run into. Uh, in different places around the world who who are aware of him and and 
uh, and as a result, Austrian economics. And, and, and speaking of some of these great Austrian economists, then uh, help me understand a little bit the difference, or some maybe some of the contributions that various people, uh, leaders in this thought. Uh, for example, Murray Rothbard. Uh, Henry Hazlitt or F.A. Hayek. What do some of these different people uh, have to, what, what have they offered? What specifically, let's say, is Murray Rothbard known for? Well, Murray Rothbard, in terms of Austrian economics, building on Mises and, and, and his predecessors, because in effect, because really the, the roots of the Austrian school go back into uh, the time of the late scholastics in the in the uh, 14th and 15th century. Well, this is where it all began. It formally began at University of Vienna in the in the 1870s. Certainly, Mises was the was the the key figure, and um, I might just mention that he was the first person uh, uh, before the founding of the Federal Reserve to demonstrate in his theory of money and credit that an institution like the Fed uh, would be a poverty producing, uh, chaotic disaster. Mm-hmm. As far as the free market and the and regular people, of course, it benefits. Uh, there are other people who benefit, but how it would bring about a business cycle. He also was responsible, uh, the first man and, and, and the only man thoroughly to show uh, in 1920 why uh, communism and socialism would be, again, a total poverty-producing uh, and really civilization-destroying disaster um, because there could be no price system in, in, uh, in, in capital goods. Uh, he... He uh, totally reconstructed economics on the basis of individual human action, that we have to understand all of economics, starting with the individual, not with the group, not with the class, not with the country and all that sort of thing, but mm-hmm. with the individual mm-hmm. in his great book, Human Action. And I'm only scratching the surface. I mean, he sure. wrote uh, you know, 25 books and oh, uh, I, hundreds of articles. And, and then Rothbard rich. also, again, wrote, wrote uh, more than 20 books and thou- perhaps 10,000 articles, Rothbard. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, these men... Many, so, so prolific. Many of which are available at uh, Mises.org, no doubt. Yeah, no, we have we have uh, uh, his books and uh, his articles. Uh, not all of them yet, but many of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all there, and and uh, you'll find Rothbard. If you've not read him, is just a, the most scintillating, interesting writer. Just mm-hmm. tremendous. And uh, so there's all kinds of historical stuff by Murray, uh, economic things, but political analysis. Um, just extraordinary, and he his work in the business cycle, America's Great Depression, um, his book uh, Man, Economy, and State, which set out to be, he was originally commissioned to do a textbook uh, of human action, but at typical of Rothbard, he actually improved on human action. Not only is Man, Economy, and State more systematic and more one part following another, but he actually improved on Mises uh, in, uh, in, in a few areas. His um, uh, he wrote a, a, a five-volume uh, history of uh, the American Revolution in the colonial, excuse me, in the colonial era up to the American Revolution. He wrote a history of thought from uh, the earliest days, the ancient Greeks, ancient Chinese, and so forth, in, in economics, uh, up through Karl Marx. And uh, tragically, he died before finishing the third volume, which would have taken things up through Keynes and, and mm. through Marshall and so forth. Yeah. Um, yeah, great, uh, great. Uh, yeah, he he did a lot of great work. I know I have uh, one of his autographed books, uh, I, I guess, uh, on banking that he that he wrote. Uh, what about there's it uh, was it Hayek who won the um, won a Nobel Prize? Yes, F. A. Hayek was it was uh, uh, a student and, and colleague of Mises's in Europe. 
um, Mises um, uh, was responsible for setting up an institute to employ Hayek mm-hmm. in the early days. Um, he wrote some tremendous work in the 1930s on on uh, money and on uh, uh, related areas. Again, a very prolific guy, probably best known for for his uh, book, The Road to Serfdom, which mm-hmm. really helped uh, interest people in free market economics after World War II. He got his Nobel Prize for his work on business cycle theory with Mises. Some people feel that uh, the Nobel Prize people felt guilty. They never would have given the prize to Mises, even though he clearly, if anybody mm-hmm. deserved it, Mises deserved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But they wouldn't give it to him. Uh, he was too too hardcore. Uh, but that they honored Mises by giving it to Hayek specifically for the work he did with Mises and, and business cycle theory. And Hayek did very, very important work in uh, in business cycle theory and, and many, many other areas. And you mentioned Henry Hazlitt. Hazlitt, um, just a great... Uh, a very great man and uh, uh, somebody who had very little formal education, entirely self-taught. Um, he was forced to drop out of school at a young age uh, when his dad died to go to work uh, to support his mother and his and his sister. So he only went through the sixth grade, but, I mean, you never would have known it. He certainly had, I mean, he's, you, you might think he had multiple PhDs. Yeah. Um, but he also was a tremendous writer, H.L. Mencken, uh, once said that Hazlitt was the only economist he knew who could really write. That's interesting. Uh, so well, that's, uh, Economics in One Lesson is his best-known book, and it still is the best book to start with if you're interested in learning about economics. It's so well-written, so interesting. Even though it was published in the 40s, it still addresses all the current problems, which are still the same uh, same terrible things that we faced in the 1940s. And he wrote, some, he wrote The Total Demolition of, of Keynes, in several books, and uh, he wrote a wonderful novel about called "Time Will Run Back" about uh, the rediscovery of capitalism in a totalitarian society of the future, and it teaches economics in the in the, in the context of a novel. And uh, these things are all on Mises Org, and we, and we well, it's very interesting. Too. I mean, to make economics come to life, but I think it's easier for Austrian economics than it is for Keynesian economics, the mathematical models, because. It is. It people can relate to Austrian economics. It's why my mother, who went only through her second year in high school, said that Ron Paul was the only one, the only presidential candidate that made any sense to her. Uh, you know, you don't you don't need to have a high degree in mathematics. In fact, I think you're probably better off not to have to understand how the world really works. I, I we do have to go to break. When we come back here, I want to ask you. I I told my listeners and my subscribers. Uh, that they had two choices. They could vote for a communist or a fascist in this presidential election. I want to get your response to that when we come back after the break. We'll be right back with Lou Rockwell. Don't go away. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. 
Attention mining investors. Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil, surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000-ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil, led by recognized mining executive Amir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources.com or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001.